Well, we are so glad that you're here today. And let me say something before we get started today, in case you've shaken my hand and wondered, because I've had three different people ask me, can you see my hand here? I didn't get mad and punch something. I had three different people say, because my knuckles are all bloodied, what would you hit? Did you get angry and, and hit something? My wife's car died this week, and I got a little too close to her engine when I was trying to re-jump it and singed all the stuff off my knuckles. So if you're wondering the whole time, man, does this pastor have a temper? Did he get angry? Did he hit, did he hit something? I did not hit anything this week. I don't even think I thought about hitting anything this week. There are weeks when I, I probably do, but I don't think that I did this week. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever gone into a restaurant really hungry for something, and you see something on the menu that looks really, really good, and you ordered it, and when they bring it out, it wasn't exactly what you thought it was going to be, and you just leave disappointed in what your food tasted like. Has anyone ever had that experience? Is anyone, does anyone in here know a vegetarian? Do you know a vegetarian? Raise your hand. I am a meatitarian. And I, you know, I'm not exactly sure what that means, except I, I like meat. And, and this is where my son gets it. If you were here last week, when I go to a restaurant, if I'm going to pay for food, I want a steak. That's, that's what I want to eat. And I, I'd eat it way too many nights of the week. And we were in a restaurant a few weeks ago. And Danielle said, you ought to get fish. You never get fish. You ought to get fish. I said, I don't want fish. She said, but they have good fish here. You ought to get fish. And I said, I don't want fish. I want a steak. And she said, try the fish. So I said, okay. So they had a thing on the menu called a, a sea bass. And I said, I'll take, you know, what's the sea bass taste like? She said, you know, it's white, it's flaky. It's really good. I said, okay, give me the fish. So, you know, I, I start pumping myself up for it, thinking, you know, that, I'm sure it'll taste okay. And they bring it out, and it's the whole fish. Like... With, with eyes and a tail, like on my plate, a fish on my plate that's looking at me, well, except for the little center section that they've cut out. I looked at Danielle and said, why would you make me get this? And every time I tried to take a bite, it had a bone in it, and I literally ate two bites and, and just threw a fit the rest of the meal. I was so unhappy. It was not what I wanted. It was not what I needed. I left hungry. And we went to breakfast the next morning. And I thought, you know what? I'm, because I didn't eat dinner last night, I'm going to order a big breakfast. Because I, I owe that to myself. And I'm looking at the menu, and they have pancakes, and they have pancakes with fruit. And I thought, I like pancakes. I like fruit. So I said, I'll take the uh, pancakes and put the, the strawberries in there too, because I thought they had a side of strawberries. Well, they brought the pancakes, and they had cooked the strawberries inside of the pancake. And it was horrible. I don't like warm fruit. You know, I want fruit to be cold like it is on the tree or on the vine. If it's mushy, they should give it to babies. I don't like warm fruit. So I took one bite of the strawberry paint, and I said, these are horrible. And I, and I gave it back, and I pouted the whole meal. And for about a day and a half, I was very discontent because I'd gone somewhere. I was excited to get something, but when I got it, it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what I thought it would be. It wasn't what I needed to, to kind of quench my appetite, and I left horribly dissatisfied. And I believe in today's generation that's what's happening in churches. I believe people are expecting churches to be one thing, needing churches to be one thing, hoping that a church will be something to them, and then they go in that church and they leave horribly disappointed by how that church met their needs. And I think with this generation particularly, there's a disconnect between people who love God but they don't really like church. And we have to figure out how to, how to close that divide. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16, because we see an interesting question in Matthew chapter 16 
posed to Jesus. And if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming down the aisle. And every Sunday here we pass out Bibles, lots of Bibles. If you forgot your Bible today, raise your hands. They'll give it to you so you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, raise your hand and just keep it. It's yours. We're glad to give you a Bible. Every Sunday we'll open up our Bible. We'll teach through some portion of the Bible. And we'd love to give you one if you don't have one or you don't remember where yours is. So you can follow along with us. Just get the ushers' attention. And they'll give you one. And in Matthew chapter 16, we see something interesting happen. Jesus is going to ask a question, and Jesus' question is going to be something like this. Hey, what do people think about me? And the disciples are going to answer that question, and then Jesus is going to take what they think about him, and he's going to compare it to his church, and he's going to say, me and my church are the same thing. And what you feel about me, hopefully you'll feel about my church. But we live in a generation today, and, and I, you know, when I say the generation, I'm talking about the people in this room, not an age of people, but, but living in an age of time. There's a lot of people today who really love God and really hate church. And we've got to figure out how to fix that problem. Jesus begins to help us do that in Matthew chapter 16. I'll start in verse 13. He's having a conversation with his 12 disciples, 12 young guys he was mentoring. If you're brand new to church, that's who these guys are. And here's what it says. When he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, that's just a town in Israel, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say you're like Jeremiah or maybe that you're one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ. That means Messiah. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know, we live in a generation that answers those questions different ways. And here's the two questions. What do you think about God? And there's one tremendous answer for what people think about God. And then there's this question, well, what do you think about church? And there's a totally different answer. And, and I include myself in the group of people who's struggling to connect what I believe about God to what I believe about church because it just appears that church has become its, its own deal. But Jesus in Matthew 16 said, I want you to know me and my church are connected. And the way you feel about me should be the way that you feel about church Because the church that I'm going to give you is going to be unbelievable if done correctly and if understood correctly. In the New Living Translation, you'll see this on on your sermon notes that we handed you. And if you're brand new, this, this little thing will kind of help you take notes and follow along as we go. In the New Living Translation, just a different translation of Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer Jesus' church. But we have to answer the question, are the churches that we all go to have been involved in today, are they truly Jesus' church? And we have to pass them through a funnel to see. And one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Francis Chan. Francis Chan was a pastor in Southern California, Simi Valley, California, about 45 miles outside of Los Angeles. He started a church 17 years ago with nobody, and it quickly grew to thousands of people. And about a year ago, had between 6,500 and 8,000 people coming every Sunday. And he was writing books, and he's one of the most well-known Christian authors and preachers of today. And in the middle, I mean, really at the pinnacle of what he was doing, he quit his church, and he walked away. He showed up one Sunday, 
and basically said this in his pulpit. This church, I don't think, is what God designed church to be. So I'm going to go on a search to see what a church should be. And he, he left his church. He turned it over to another pastor. And he said this. Too many times people leave the church talking about me rather than Jesus. And I've become a stumbling block to what God wants to do in his church. So he quit. And he's now, he, he's on this journey, this two or three year journey. And he's asking himself this question. If all I have is this book, and that's it. If all I have is the Bible to tell me what a church should be. And I've never seen an American church. And I've never studied church history. If all I have is the Bible to show me what church should be, does the church in the Bible look like the churches on every street corner today? And if not, what needs to change? Now, we could talk for hours. We won't today, but, but we could about church and theology and, uh, you know, ecclesiology, the study of the church. But what I, what I want to ask you today, you know, UPS a few years ago, I think in 2003, started a brilliant marketing strategy. And UPS began to ask this question, what can Brown do for you? By the way, it was in the midst of them figuring out if they should recreate their company in a more colorful way. FedEx had come along, DHL, I think, had come along, you know, purple and orange and yellow. And they began to question, you know, are we boring? And should we change and become more flashy? And they said, no, let's embrace Brown. And they asked the question, what can Brown do for you? Well, today I want to ask this question. What can church, what can church do for you? What is a church supposed to do for you? You know, a lot of people ask you what you're supposed to do for the church. But have you ever been asked, what's the church supposed to do for you? Now, there's a hundred things that the church is supposed to do in your life. But today I want to talk to you about four of those things. And I want to continue to just lay the foundation of why this church exists. And hopefully what will happen in your life if you're around our church and a part of our church. Four things, four reasons why the Bible says the church exists. Reason number one, the church exists to connect God to people. The church exists to connect God to people. And I want to show you an interesting personal pronoun in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I want you to circle it if you still have your Bible open. If, if not, I think it's also on the top of your sermon notes. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build, whose church? My church. You know, when you look at that word my, you have to understand where we are. To, this is God's church, not ours. We have been invited as guests into what God is doing in the world through his church. And instead, we live in a generation that's tried to take the church, and we love to sit around and talk about what the church should be, what it shouldn't be, how someone should dress, how they shouldn't dress, how loud the music should be, what kind of music we should have, where a church should meet, how long a service should go, whether you should sing hymns or pray songs or do Sunday schools or small groups. I mean, we, we, we love to sit and talk about what the church should be. There's only one problem. It's not ours. It's God's. We've been invited to be a part of His church. Can you imagine inviting someone over to your house, inviting guests to your house for dinner, and at the end of the night, them thanking you for coming and asking you to leave? You say, you're out of your mind. This is my house. You can't ask me to leave my house. You're done. You leave. And, and we've, we've created a church that we want. Can you imagine somebody coming in your house and bringing paint with them and, and redesigning it the way that they liked it? Moving your living room furniture around while you're off getting di dinner ready? Nobody would do that. Nobody would put up with that. Yet that's what we've done to God's church. We've just created it the way that we like it. But church is to exist to connect God to people. Do you have any idea how hard God has been working to connect with you? 
Do you have any idea how, how, how many hoops God has jumped through to get your attention and to be your friend and to be close to you? Really, the story of the Bible is a story I, I call of, of spiritual tag, where God has been chasing humanity, trying to catch them so they'll live in relationship with Him. Think about the things that God has created so we could connect to Him, starting in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 1 and 2. God created a perfect environment for humanity to live. Why? So they could be close to Him. You see, the story of the Bible is God desiring to connect to humanity. When the garden didn't work anymore, if you just jump a few scriptures forward in Genesis chapter 6, we see God provide an ark for Noah and his family. Why? Because God wanted to connect with humanity, so he provided a place where they would be safe and they'd have a spiritual connection to him. After the ark, he, he connected with Abraham through a piece of land. And his connection on earth became, his original design was to have a piece of land. And here's how well it worked. There's only one place in the world that's referred to as the Holy Land, right? And where is that? It's Israel. It's what God gave to Abraham. God's idea was there'll be a piece of land that the whole world sees. That's where I reside. That's what I love. And the whole world will be reached from that land. With Moses, he gave Moses the law. And he said, through the law, people will understand me. Through the law, people will, will know me. Through the, Paul, through the law, people will understand how to please me and how to be in relationship with me. And then after the law, he gave us Jesus. All of these just attempts for God to get our attention and to connect with us. In John 1.14, it says, So the Word, meaning God, became human and he made his home among us. God wants to be close to you. God's been trying your entire life to connect with you. And when Jesus left, Jesus said, You've had the garden, you've had the ark, you've had the land, you've had the law, you've had me. I'm going to leave you with church. I'm going to leave you my church, and that's where you're going to connect with me. So a church, first and foremost, should be about people connecting to God. That's why we say it's a goal at our church. When you come to church on Sundays, it's our goal that you experience God at Journey Church International. We don't want you to hear a sermon today. We don't want you to sing songs today. We, We hope your kids have a good time, but that's not the goal today. The goal today is for you to leave and, and, and to have felt like you experienced God in some way. God spoke to you about one thing. God led you to forgive someone who had hurt you. God led you to ask for forgiveness for something you did wrong. God touched your heart. You, you've been worn out and burnt out and discouraged and God just encouraged you. It's our goal for you to leave church and say, man, God really touched me. And if it goes something like, and I'm not even, I can't remember what the preacher said and I can't remember what songs we sang. Man, I just feel like God touched me. That's the goal of our church. Because churches exist to connect God to people. Just like the garden existed, the ark existed, the land, the law, and Jesus existed to allow God to reach out and touch humanity. That's why a church exists. Secondly, a church exists, as you read through the Bible, the church exists to connect God's Word, what we call the Bible, to people's hearts. When you come to church... God's Word should be connected to your heart in an applicable way so that you understand it, so that it means something, and so you go and do something about it. Christianity is not a list of of rules and regulations, but God's Word, if you really understand it, can really change your life. And it used to be that the Bible was a real big part of of church ministry. You know, do, do you remember a time if you grew up in church where you were in kids' ministry? And by the way, our kids' ministry here is just awesome. 
I mean, our kids have the most fun. The feedback that I get, I'll, I'll be very... I've not had anyone yet email me or Facebook me or text me or call me and say that was an unbelievable sermon. But I bet that's happened a dozen times with our kids' ministry. Kids' ministry is unbelievable. My kids love the kids' ministry. My kid could tell me the entire Sunday school lesson that they learned. Our kids' ministry is great. But when I was in kids' ministry, we used to song, sing a little song called the B-I-B-L-E. Y'all remember that song? B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And what's it spell? Bible. You know what? We were raised as kids singing that song. And the other day, I was in a church service where a pastor didn't open his Bible and read a verse the entire message. I watched. He carried it on the stage. He sat it on a table. And he gave an entire message. And he didn't quote one verse of Scripture. And he didn't teach anything from the Bible. And I thought, you know, the church exists to open God's Word and help people understand what it means. Probably the first great Bible teacher in the history of the Bible was a man named Ezra. In Ezra, in Ezra chapter 7, 10, Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, we see a verse that describes Ezra, who he was, what he did, and he's probably the Old Testament's greatest Bible teacher, just a guy who teaches the Bible. And it said that Ezra, as a man, devoted himself to study the law of the Lord, to observe the law of the Lord, and to teach its decrees and its laws in Israel. Here's a guy, Ezra, who did three things. So one, I'm going to study the Bible and I'm going to know what it means. And then secondly, I'm going to do what it says. And then three, I'm going to teach others what it means. And then they can decide whether or not they want to do it. No Bible teacher will try to force anyone to do anything. But he'll lay it out and see what they want to do. As a matter of fact, one of the first modern-looking church services that we see in the Bible was in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah and Ezra were buddies. Nehemiah was kind of a builder, contractor, governmental leader. Ezra was a, a, a teacher, preacher. And they got together in Israel, and Nehemiah rebuilt some walls, and Ezra helped get the temple up and going. And they decided to have a big kind of revival service to get everyone on the same page spiritually. And Nehemiah said, you know, I've got a bunch of people here who want to live for God. They don't know how. They don't know what the Bible says. Will you and your associate pastors come and teach them what to do? And in Nehemiah chapter 8, we have, if you study through the Old Testament, start at Genesis 1 and go all the way through the Old Testament, first time we see anything that looks like a church service today. Somebody standing up and teaching people the Bible. Nehemiah 8, it'll be on the screen behind me, verses 4 through 8. Ezra came, all the Israels gathered before him. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood high on a wooden platform built for the occasion. He's in a pulpit. Beside him on his right, forgive me, I'm not going to read any of these names because I'll say I'm all wrong. So a bunch of guys that were named, a bunch of long names. Mattathiah, Shema, Shema, verse 5. Ezra opened his book, right? That's how we read Old Testament names when we're not real schooled on our, on our Hebrew pronunciations. Ezra opened his Bible. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. He's on a stage. And as he opened it, the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, in bracket here, I put associate pastors, that's who those guys were, people who served in the temple with them. He taught them what the Bible was so they could teach others. There's all their names, we'll skip them again. Instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. Verse 8, I want you to see exactly what they did. They read from the book of the law, God read the Bible, and made it clear... And gave the meaning so the people understood what was being read. You know, this book is unbelievable. But if you just go home and start reading it today, half of it, if not more than half of it, won't make sense. It's a difficult book to understand. Especially if you're not a Christian and God's not speaking to you as, as you try to read it. 
But one of the reasons a church exists is so that trained teachers and preachers, people who have been given that gift, can get up and try to help people understand what the Bible says. Tremendous books have been written to understand that. Commentaries have been written to understand that. And at a church, you should come. And every Sunday, it's our goal every Sunday that you leave and you think, I learned something I never knew before. Learned something in the Bible that I never knew before. I went to, a, a few months ago, went to a church in Riverside, California. The pastor there, his name's Greg Laurie. He's one of my favorite pastors in America. He has taken over now for Billy Graham, does most of the preaching at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Associations. Last week they had a, a crusade, a week-long crusade in Los Angeles, I heard, and they had 12,000 people come to Christ at that crusade. 12,000, 121,000 people that came in three days. That's who Greg Glory is. But he has a church that he also pastors on the weekends. And I went to his church, and I'm telling you, man, everyone in his church was carrying a Bible. And when he got up to teach God's Word, they had like like the the pocket pencil things. They had like packets of highlighters, every color, pens and pencils. And I've never seen anyone study the Bible like that church does together. And I told Danielle, this is what I want for our church. I, I want people to come to church to learn the Bible. I think that's what a church exists to do. You know, the goal of a church, which is why we teach the Bible, should be to transform you, not perform for you. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of churches that spend a lot more time on what the stage looks like, what music they're going to play, if they can get fog and lights and, you know, get a guy to do acrobatics during worship and impress people, perform, rather than just say, what will transform people's hearts? And according to the Bible, it's it's this that really changes us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Word of God, this. It's alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Let, let me tell you exactly what that means and in a way that's really understand. This Bible, man, it'll get straight to your heart. That's what that means. This Bible will get straight to your heart if you really listen and understand it. But I love what James 1.22 says. James says, don't just listen to God's Word. You've got to go do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourselves. So, so it's our goal at, at Journey Church International to see you equipped to understand how to grow spiritually. To see you equipped to understand how to be transformed spiritually. So when you come, we open up the Bible, we teach you a few things, and you go away, you've heard it, you've learned it, you can decide whether or not you're going to apply it. But if you do, your life will begin to change. And if you listen and you, and you let it hit your heart, your life will begin to change. This is really the main two reasons that a church exists. So the main two reasons our church exists, to help you experience God, to begin a relationship with God, and then to help you understand who He is and what He wants you to do. That, that's our main goal. If that happens in your life, we have succeeded, even if it happens in the life of one person. But thirdly, according to the Bible, a church exists to connect people to other people. So a church exists so that God can connect to you, because God loves humanity, and He's been trying to connect with them since the... Really, the sixth day of creation. And the church exists to, to connect God's Word to your heart so you can know Him and live for Him. But then a church exists to connect people to people. I want you to repeat this phrase after me out loud, and, and it's only three words. Repeat this phrase, I need people. One more time. One more time. Now, if I was a counselor, I'd be able to charge some of you $100 for just admitting out that out loud for the very first time in your life. We need people. People need people. And you know what I believe the devil's greatest tool in life is? It's getting people alone. 
If you read in the Bible when God's greatest men and women got discouraged, got depressed, wanted to quit, it's when they were alone. And God wants to slow, or the devil wants to slowly disconnect every positive relationship you have, beginning husbands and wife with your marriage. If he can disconnect your marriage, that's a big one to making you feel alone. And then he wants to disconnect you from your children. If he can disconnect your children from you, that's going to be a, a big strength of his. And if he can disconnect you from your spiritual mentor or from Christian friends, that's a big one. And the devil loves to pull people apart. The church is designed to bring people together. You know, sometimes the, the real world has it even better than the church. You know, when I grew up, there was a popular song we used to sing at Fellowship of Christian Athletes all the time. We didn't sing worship songs. We sang it at FCA, and it was called Lean on Me. Does anyone remember that song? You know, I don't know that that's a spiritual song, but it has an unbelievable spiritual meaning, right? Sometimes in our lives we all have... Really? Pain? Do we have pain? Yeah, we do. We all have sorrows? Do we really have sorrows? Yeah, we do. But if we're wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. And then what's those three words? Lean on me. People need people. Y'all remember that show, The Wonder Years? Man, I wanted to date Winnie Cooper so bad when I was young. And I wanted a Jets jacket with the white leather sleeves like Kevin. I mean, I wanted that so bad for myself. And remember the theme song for that song? For, for, the, for that show? Have a little help from my friends, Joe Cocker, one of the greatest musicians ever. Gotta ha- I gotta have a little help from my friends. You know, the church needs to admit that a little more. We need people. I hear people say, all I need is Jesus. Listen. That's the dumbest thing you could ever say. And Jesus is great. But do you know what Jesus did on the most difficult evening of his life? Do you know what Jesus did? He took his three best friends and said, Will you guys will you hang with me tonight? Because I don't think I can get through tonight by myself. That's Jesus. The Apostle Paul may be the strongest man's man Christian that ever lived. What did he do? He took someone on every trip he ever went. And when he was in prison, he, he asked his friends, Will you all come and visit me? Man, life is lonely enough for us to disengage from every person that we have in our life. A church has to exist to bring people to people. That's what Hebrews 10.25 says. The author of Hebrews, he's writing, the church isn't even five decades old yet, and already Christians have started deciding, I don't need church. And maybe their church looked a lot like ours does, and you know they didn't want to go to church. But the principle of Hebrews 12.25 says, don't neglect meeting together, as some people are doing, but encourage one another. A church done well will connect you to people that will help encourage you spiritually. The Old Testament principles found in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. The wisest man who ever lived wrote these verses about people needing people. His name was Solomon. And Solomon said two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and doesn't have anyone to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You get some people around your life and you're going to be stronger. That's what Solomon is saying. Any of you remember the, the game Red Rover? Did you all ever play that before they outlawed all the fun games in, in school? And they're not allowed to play dodgeball or football or kickball or you know, hardly anything that someone can lose anymore because I guess it's devastating for their self-esteem. Um, but that's beside the point. I shouldn't have said that. I've got to quit saying those things because it's recorded and someone will be angry that I, that I said that one day. Where was I? Red Rover. Anyway, Red Rover. So there's this game, right? Red Rover. You link up with your friends. Red Rover, Red Rover. We dare somebody over. 
my team would pick Danielle because we know she couldn't break through our chain. We, you know, we'd pick somebody that we knew wasn't going to make it. You know, that game is actually funny. If you go and Google these things, you find out all these interesting facts. You know Red Rover was started in the early 1800s in Great Britain? The word rover in the Netherlands actually was the word pirate. And at that time, Britain was being attacked all the time by pirates. So they trained their kids not to be afraid of pirates by, by getting this game to think if we stand together, we can challenge the pirates for a fight. Interesting thought. I never, never knew that. My life's not any better for knowing it, but now, now I know it, and I thought you would want to know it. Red Rover, Red Rover, we dare you. And you go, and if you can break through their link, you get to pick someone on their team, bring them back to your team. But if you can't, what happens? You have to stay on their team. And the person that runs out of people first, that team loses. Your church is very much the same way. Satan is watching you and your group of friends, and when he thinks you're connected to someone weak, he's going to come and try to break that connection and take you right away from your group of friends back to whatever he'd like to see happen in your life. That's what Solomon's saying. Two people might be strong, three people really strong. They're going to win a game of Red Rover. They're going to win spiritually. That's the thought of people needing people. It's why we had some women together this week planning our fall women's retreat that we're going to take our women to because we believe the women in this church should know each other. It's why we've had discussions with men about what should we do that men like to do where people can hang out and get to know one another. And we're not talking about more Bible studies, more stuff. We're talking about relational stuff. We're having a cookout for everyone who serves in our church. We're having a cookout next Sunday night so people can get to know each other. We're not going to sing. We're not going to preach. We'll probably pray for the food. That's about it. But we just want people to know each other. We have a room in the back. The coolest room in this church is in the back. It's called our volunteer headquarters. It has so much food in it. We'll throw some away today. So everyone who volunteers in our church can go back and get fruit, cheese and crackers, drinks, bananas, donuts, whatever. Why? Because we want people to hang out with people and get to know one another. A church should connect people to people. And it's our goal to engage people together in real relationships. Not somebody we have, that has to have a name tag on so we know their name, but really allow people to get to know people at our church. That's one of our goals, to engage people in authentic Christian relationships at our church. And then finally, reason number four. If we look at what the, why the Bible says a church exists, a church exists to be the conduit to connect passionate Christians with helpless and hurting people. The church is supposed to be the place where when you really decide you want to make a difference in the world, you go to your church and say, help me find someone to help. A portion of scripture that's really gripped my heart the last two years has been what's known as the great compassion in church. And we say our church exists to, to, meet, to fulfill the great commission, go tell people about Jesus. The great commandment, love people, uh, love your neighbor like yourself. And then the great compassion to help hurting people. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. We're near the end of his ministry now. He says, this is what's important for me, for people to get about Christians when I leave. He said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels come with him. He's talking about the very end times now. He'll sit on his throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He'll put sheep on his right, goats on his left. And he'll say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited in. I invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry or feed you and thirsty or give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king replies, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for anybody, the least of these brothers and sisters, you did it for me. 
Then he'll say to those people on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't look after me. And they'll answer, Lord, when did we see you going through that stuff and not help you? And he'll answer, Truly I tell you, whatever you didn't do for the least of these people, you didn't do for me. Jesus said, Real Christians care about people. And all they need is a place for someone to point them in the right direction and say, These people need help. Here's how we'll go help them. You know, maybe the highlight of this church experience so far has been the ministry partners that we've connected with. I've been talking this week with folks in India that want to, they, they're setting up kind of a preliminary trip so we can go later in the summer. And they've offered us to bring five people over to India January 3rd through 11th to meet the girls in their orphanages that, that we're supporting and to find out how our church can be more heavily engaged there. I've been in contact this week with people from the Sudan who want us to go and get engaged. And their need right now for their ministry is, is they need 40, basically $100 gifts, any need $4,000 because they've got 40 pastors who need bicycles. You know, the things we have in our garage that we have four of, five of, six of, they know if a pastor can have a bicycle, he can do 10 times the amount of ministry. And they said, we're, just, we're looking for churches. Can you help us buy some bicycles? When can you come and meet our pastors and just minister to them? I've been in contact with people right here in our community. You know, this, this school that we meet in, we've kind of adopted this school and said we want, to, we want to serve it. Two weeks ago, we fed the entire staff, catered in Chick-fil-A for all the teachers and everyone here, and just came in and served and just said, we want you to know we're here. Anything this school has, any needs this school has, please call us. I got a call from one of their secretaries on Friday. So we've got X number of kids who, who they don't have gym uniforms, they don't have backpacks. They don't have school supplies. Can you help? And I said, we'll help all of them. That's because that's what our church does. Say, so why are you taking an offering at your church? So we can help people who need money. That's one of the reasons we take an offering at our church. And a church should be about connecting you. I know your hearts would all be to do that, but a lot of time we just, we would love to help. We just don't know what needs to be done. So a church should connect you to situations you can help in. And we do that three ways. Say, first, a church should come together to energize people spiritually so that they can help. Tired, worn out, discouraged, depressed people can't go help others. They're, just, they're trying to make it on their own. So our church exists to, to bring you in, get you spiritually healthy so that you can go and help other people. But then a church has to organize people strategically so they can serve. That's why we have on the back of the connection card, and, and we've already had some people turn it in, one of the things that you can check is give me information about serving hurting people in the community. You know, that's the most checked box of what people want to do at our church. You know why? Because real Christians want to help hurting people. They, it's just in their DNA. They think it's something they're supposed to do, and they're right. They are supposed to do it. So we want to organize people to figure out how we can help, what we can do. But then we have to mobilize people systematically. Here's some needs. Here's how they can be met. Here's how we're going to go meet them. So we say when our church meets, we want to energize and organize and mobilize. Let me give you an example of this. Last year when the tornado hit Joplin, or really last spring, I believe it hit in late May. How many of you at some point in time, and don't raise your hands, but just think, how many of you at some point in time were watching footage of what happened in Joplin and you were thinking, man, I wish I could go do something to help? I was. I was sitting there and I thought, I wish I could do something to help. And it was like God said, you can, dummy. Take a group and go help. So, okay, so I reached out to a relief organization. I said, I want to come help. We're starting a church, but we already have some people. Can we come help? 
And they said, bring 20 people meet us. And we were one of the first organizations that was allowed inside the disaster zone because of what we went to do. We distributed 20,000 bottles of water on one day in Joplin. We cut down trees so that, so that crews could get into the spots where they needed to get in. We were there three days after the tornado. They still had the cadaver dogs looking for bodies. We had to have a special permit to be there. But see, a lot of people thought, I wish I could go do something. You know what you need? You need a church to say, here's the four times we're going so you can go help. Because you can't just do it on your own. You have to have somebody give you a condo, like plug you into an opportunity. And that's what our church exists to do, plug you into opportunities to make a difference in the world. If you've been on our website, you'll see a slide that, that has four E's on it, kind of a rotator on our deal. We call it our simple process for spiritual impact. Because it's after two years of studying the Bible, we believe this is what's important. That people experience God, that people engage in relationships, that people embrace serving, and that people be equipped to know how to grow spiritually. I actually last week sat our staff down and gave them a quiz on those four E's. said, if you, you can't even know what this church is about until you know what these four E's are and why we believe what we do in the scripture associated with it. I want our people to understand that this is what our church is about. This is how we have organized our church. This is how we've structured our church. This is what we believe according to the Bible that the church should be. But here, here's the big thing. Before you need a church, you need God. And the first step to growing spiritually, the first step to connecting spiritually, the first step to making a difference spiritually is becoming a Christian. Is getting to a point in place where you say, you know what, I realize God's been chasing me. My entire life he's been chasing me. And I'm ready to be caught. And I need God to forgive me of some things. And I need God to help me with some things. And I need God to help me start over so I can make a difference in the world. And if you're here today, as we get ready to close in prayer this morning, and and you've not started your spiritual journey, you've not become a Christian, we want to help you do that this morning. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And everyone in here, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And we're just going to pray a few simple prayers today along these lines that we've discussed. And as you bow your head and as you close your eyes, I'm hoping today you'll focus on what you need to focus on. Maybe today for you it's beginning your spiritual journey. Maybe today it's for you. You've been going to church for a long time, but you don't feel like you experience God at church. You just kind of go to church. Maybe you don't have any Christian friends. Maybe you have no one to lean on, no one to give you a little help when you need it. Maybe today you know in your heart you should be helping hurting people, but you've never even thought about doing that or never had the opportunity to do it. Maybe today it's time for you to take a step to say, God, I'm going to take the next step spiritually. I'm going to be more of what you want me to be. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this place. And if you're in here and you've never begun your spiritual journey, you've never become a Christian, you've never asked God to forgive you of your sin, where you've gone wrong, to cleanse you, you've never asked God to save you and change you and give you eternal life, you can do that right now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, pray this prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud. It never has to roll off your lips. God hears the prayers of our hearts. I just want you to pray this with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, just repeat after me. God, I need to begin my spiritual journey today. I understand you've been chasing me my entire life because of your love for me your desire to connect with me. And today I stop running. God, forgive me of the things I've done in my life to separate me from you. 
Lord, cleanse me from the inside out so I can begin to change. And God, help me live and make a difference for you in this world. And God, give me eternal life when I die. If you were in here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, please, nobody looking around. If you just prayed that prayer and today you started your spiritual journey, we just raise your hand as testimony of it? Just up quick and down quick. Christian, today I prayed that prayer with you, man. I just want you to know. Just slip it up quick and put it down quick. And God, we thank you for those who heard and those who are in their heart are wrestling with these issues and those who prayed to begin their spiritual journey. Create a change in their life. But God, I pray for everyone else in this room because we've got a long way to go. Your desire was never for us to come and sit in a service. That wasn't even on our chart of things. The Bible says church is. But Lord, maybe people are in here and they've gone to church forever, but they've never really felt you. God, I pray that they will have experienced you today. Lord, maybe people have gone to church all their life, but they've never been taught God's words. They don't even know how to live as a Christian. Help them to experience that here or to a church they connect with. God, I pray that you'll be with all those people who are lonely, discouraged, distraught, feel like they don't have anyone in the world to help them, that they can connect to people at a great church who will help them live life. And then, God, I pray for those who maybe everything's going well in their life, but they've not yet connected to helpless and hurting people. They have a desire to do more. God, give them that opportunity, this church, to serve this community and serve this world because that's what Christians are supposed to do. God, we love you. We need you. Thank you for this new church and what it's already doing in the lives of people. Lord, let us really help not just kids at this school, but Lord, kids all over this city and all over the world. Let them be impacted for good because this this church gets together and hangs out and cares and does good ministry. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. This morning, here's what I want you to do. Everyone pull out your connection card if you would, everybody, because... I'm going to go through a few announcements here at the very end.